1: Bill, DeAndre Hopkins now our free agent. Someone who's spoken very highly of. Do you guys have any interest in pursuing him? Yeah, I'm not going to comment on players that are on this team. Now we, we love our, our current group. Um, I know we there was some stuff with Odell, but um, other than that, there's we we love our group. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to comment on that
0: uh, that one. But I like our receiver room. You know, I think we got a good mix of, of different types of guys.
1: I really really like our 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 wide receiver room. Uh, I I love the guys that are in there. Um, Andrew and his crew are always looking at every avenue and that type of thing. So I won't comment specifically on the player other than to say uh, I really
2: like our roster. Various coaches ask the inevitable question about DeAndre Hopkins because he is a free agent now. You're allowed to talk about him, even though Bill Belichick's position was I don't talk about anybody who's not on the team. You're allowed to when he's a free agent. And DeAndre Hopkins has been a free agent for Three days now, there hasn't been any clear indication of anything happening, which tells me whatever he's looking for, Miles, whatever he wants, whatever his number is, I don't think there's anybody out there that's willing to give it to him at this point.
0: Not yet, but he did just hire an agent. So agents still got to work, you know, work his magic a little bit. And I think today is kind of a big day in this whole thing because you get the money in cap relief from the post-June 1 designations that you might have made when you cut some veterans. So I think that maybe we might start to see a little bit of movement when it comes to DeAndre Hopkins over the weekend.
2: Yeah, but you still had... You had the knowledge that it was going to happen. They could have reached an agreement in principle yesterday or the day before and signed it today. Everybody knows the money's going to hit today. I think it's more along the lines of he wants too much. And a point I made recently, teams have done this over and over and over again. They know all the shapes and sizes and personality types and levels of demands and who wants this and who wants that and how to deal with guys who maybe want more than they should. Teams know how to deal with guys who want too much. And one of the ways you deal with a guy who wants too much is you just wait and you wait, and you yeah. let him process that I'm not going to get what I want. For him, it's a first. For the teams, it happens all the time. This is a guy who wants too much, so we're going to let it sit. We're going to let it percolate. We're going to let him hear from multiple teams, sorry, we just can't pay you what you want. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, the thinking is the Bills and Chiefs are going to end up in some sort of a mini tug of war. There are the. Latest odds that we've tracked down. The Bills continue to be the favorites with the Chiefs just behind. The Browns have muscled their way into the conversation. Last time I saw the odds over the weekend, it was Bills, Chiefs, Ravens, Jets in the top four. So the Browns and Lions are creeping into this. Mm-hmm. And the Browns the Browns would make some sense when you look at their depth chart. But And you look at the fact that you're trying to get the most you can out of Deshaun Watson. Now when Deshaun Watson publicly supported the idea of bringing in DeAndre Hopkins the other day. I still don't know whether that was just I'm being nice to my friend or I really, really want him. It'll be interesting if he really, really wants him, but the team won't give him to him. If he really, really wants him and they want to make this work, Miles, I'd like to think the team would do whatever they have to do to make this work for Deshaun Watson.
0: Well, the the Browns are maybe in a better position than the Bills or the Chiefs to land DeAndre Hopkins, A, because of that connection that Deshaun Watson And DeAndre Hopkins have, I mean, this is a guy in DeAndre Hopkins that won or that was an all pro first team, all pro two times with Deshaun Watson as a starting QB for a full season. I mean, you could kind of add 2017 in there too, even though Deshaun Watson was hurt. So it's like two and a half, but that's one element of it. The other element is kind of with those post June one designations, the Browns are going to have the second most cap space available out of any team. So that's something where you can point to if you're Deshaun Watson and you really want this to happen. And you're like, I say, hey, we've got the most money b- between, you know, the Bills, the Chiefs, and all these other teams that might want DeAndre Hopkins. And we are in a position to contend. And we are in a division with... Cincinnati, who I think is a real Super Bowl contender, right? Baltimore, who should be a Super Bowl contender, especially now that Lamar Jackson is happy. You've got Pittsburgh, who is always going to be in the mix under Mike Tomlin. They've proven that. So what are we going to do to have a bold move so that we are in the conversation and better in the mix? Now, you don't know how much DeAndre Hopkins is going to be available. I mean, yeah, he was hurt one year. You know, then he had the suspension. So that's two seasons in a row where he's not played a full season. But I think that just a simple fact, if you could have DeAndre Hopkins opposite Amari Cooper, that's two really darn good receivers. And you add Elijah more to that, Donovan Peoples, Jones, somebody, another one who's up and coming. It makes a lot of sense for the Browns to really strongly pursue this, I think.
2: The reality is right now, the Browns are just kind of a curiosity that no one's paying attention to. We don't know what they're going to be. We don't know what to expect. There's so many great teams around the Browns in their division, in the conference, that they're just kind of an afterthought. All of a sudden, if they get DeAndre Hopkins, they start hitting the radar screen and we start paying closer attention. Now, I don't know that they want that or not. Maybe their plan is we're going to surprise everybody this year. And, you know, they've got that very strong analytics mindset and strategies and, you know, does DeAndre Hopkins, what, what does he bring by way of what you're going to invest in him? And I could see some skepticism there because, you know, one of the points yeah. Sims made earlier this week, he's just basically a very large slot receiver at this point. He's not going to run by people. He's not going to command double coverage everywhere he goes. He's going to be a reliable safety blanket for a quarterback. And there are good reasons to have that, especially in Cleveland where you're doing your best to make the – quarterback more comfortable and thus more effective it does make sense in Cleveland but if the guy wants to chase a ring and I think that's the big factor here Mm -hmm. money versus likelihood of getting a ring you go to Kansas City where the quarterback already has security blanket and Travis Kelsey but you're more likely to win a ring Buffalo better chance to win a ring
0: Kansas City, I think, needs that role, right? Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was a huge, huge presence that they had at receiver last year, and he is now in New England. So I think, like, it, you know, we're talking about fits whatever. Like, I, I think that DeAndre Hopkins would absolutely fit with the Kansas City Chiefs, and he would be another element to that offense that they might not have right now based on the receiving room that they have. I mean, I, I think Darius Toney should be good. Health questions, though, still there. Sky Moore, he is in a position to ascend more in his second year, and he made some big plays in the Super Bowl, too. But I think that having that veteran presence, that's another security blanket that's not Travis Kelsey, would definitely be huge for that offense.
2: There was some reporting on Thursday linking him to both the Patriots and the Texans. Now, I remember he did the interview several weeks back where he was asked to respond with body language and facial expression with his interest level in a variety of teams. (laughs) Chiefs-Bills, yes. Jets-Patriots, now he looked off to the side. It was widely interpreted as no thank you. And we don't know what his relationship is with Bill O'Brien at this point, but Bill O'Brien was the coach when Hopkins got traded, so... Mm -hmm. There's something that went wrong or he still would have been in Houston playing for Bill O'Brien. And speaking of Houston, the Texans linked to Hopkins. And I can't imagine when you think back to some of the stuff that happened. And I know that that Bob McNair is deceased. But Bob McNair, some of the stuff that was said during the anthem and the, the, the I think Hopkins walked out after something that occurred. And I don't know that he'd want to go back there. Cal McNair's running the show now. I just, I don't, unless they would really plunk down a ton of money. I, I don't, I don't know why that would happen. And I don't know why they'd want it. It just seems like over done. We're trying to turn the page and move on from anything in the past that has been dysfunctional. And there's the message. The only message we have from DeAndre Hopkins, the old Sino evil hear no evil speak no evil i guess that's his in way of saying order. he ain't saying anything in some yeah. way here here but well no no i guess the middle ones speak but i don't see hands yes. over the mouth but i guess the middle one speak that's what that is so, yes that's so, what that's what uh, that
0: hands are over the mouth
2: you don't oh, I, don't I don't know your see the, emojis very well see. i'm old I can't yeah. see. I can't see that far. The, the, <laughs> yesterday, it was easier when I was in my office because the return was right in my face. Here, it's like four feet away. I can't see that far. But my eyes are fine. My eyes are fine because uh-huh. I've memorized the eye chart. My physical's coming up in less than four weeks. I've memorized the eye chart. Uh, read the last line I'll that see. you can see. I remember as soon as I'm sitting in the chair, I'll remember what the, the letters are, and I'll pass with flying mm-hmm. colors. Okay, so he's not saying anything. And, and again, it's difficult for him. I thought when this process first started in the offseason, when we believed he was going to be traded, the question was how much more than $19.45 million is he going to make this year? And then it became, wait, nobody wants to pay him his $19.45 Now, what do they want to pay him? And what is he willing to accept? How little is he willing to accept to say yes to a team? And how much more is it going to take from a non-contender or a fringe contender to get him to not just end up with the Chiefs or the Bills? I mean, th- there's a reason that the Chiefs and the Bills were the only two teams that were linked to him. They're the two that reportedly spoke to the Cardinals about a trade. Now that Mm -hmm. he's available to anyone, who else is truly going to get into the mix and spend the kind of money? I think at the end of the day, it's going to be Chiefs versus Bills with both teams resisting the temptation to overpay to keep him away from the other team.
0: I think it would be interesting if he were to go to the Bills. I mean, having him with Stephon Diggs, I would really give uh, Josh Allen a good target. And they got their new tight end to rookie that they seem to be really high on too. And, you know, he'll be playing outside a little bit and not just in line. So I think that they are in a position to say, yeah, we would definitely use DeAndre Hopkins, and they've got to do something to get themselves past the divisional round. And I don't know, man. I think that the AFC East is going to be a really, really tough division. I don't think there's any guarantee that the Bills are going to come away with that division, first of all, because I think Miami, with their defensive improvements, just by adding Vic Fangio, and then you also add Jalen Ramsey to that, they're going to be a tough out. Right. And then you have the New York Jets and they've got a good defense, we believe, but they also add Aaron Rodgers. We'll see what that happens there. I mean, I don't necessarily think the Patriots are as big of a threat, but they're going to be in the mix. Right. So where are the bills going to fall in all of that where you've got your head coach who's now taking back over defensive play calling? like That's going to be an interesting thing to see. So all that being said, if they can add a weapon like a DeAndre Hopkins, who is such a reliable target, that would definitely help them.
2: My son raised the question earlier this week because he's a big Stephon Diggs fan, and we know that Diggs isn't content for some reason. Most obviously, they don't win. They haven't gotten to the Super Bowl. That's why he went there. Remember the image of him watching the Chiefs celebrate? He used it as a motivation. They've regressed since then. How Mm -hmm. would he feel about DeAndre Hopkins? It helps you win, but if it cuts into your numbers, if it cuts into your opportunities, is the net a positive, or is there a chance that... You know, Stefan has something different he's upset about. Yeah, we're we're in a better position to win, but I'm no longer him. I've got to share him status with DeAndre Hopkins. You just wonder how he would feel about that. That was my son's point, and it would be part of the experiment. It'd be part of what we find out as they go forward with Hopkins if they would add him to Stephon Diggs.
0: I think Stephon Diggs just wants to win.
2: I, I, I think he would welcome it. But based on what
0: I've seen from Stefan Diggs, I mean, I just, I yeah, I I think that you would welcome it because it it would help them win. And, And they obviously need something else in that offense, despite the fact that, you know, they're ranked very highly and Ken Dorsey took over that thing and kept them ranked highly, but they still have a turnover issue in part because of their quarterback. Like they need something else to get them on the level, in my opinion, of Cincinnati and Kansas City, right? So if that's the case, then, yeah, you need another dude that can go out there and be a dog and get things on third down. So it's not just, oh, we only have to pay attention to Stefan Diggs on these biggest plays. You need to be able to spread things out a little bit, give defenses a little more to think about.
2: Worst case scenario would be Hopkins' presence eats into Stefan Diggs' production and they still don't win. That's yeah, the risk stink, you're taking. Right. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. That would be the problem. And you mentioned the Dolphins are likely going to be better. The Jets are going to be better. The Patriots, who knows? And you look at that schedule point I made when the schedule came out three weeks and one day ago, the idea that they play all those games against AFC West teams, NFC East teams, there's a chance that there's only going to be one that comes out of that division and makes it to the postseason this year. There could be some great teams that get left behind in the AFC East simply because of the schedule rotation. Let's take a break. Which doesn't belong and why up next on this Friday edition of PFT Live. There (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Love that. My goal is to pollute your brain with as many Seinfeld references and clips as possible that you will have over the accumulation of your life, seen the entire series, even though you never watched a single episode. There's one particular episode of Seinfeld where both Kramer and Again Jerry... with the Seinfeld. ...try their...
0: You know that there are plenty of shows right. that I watch. Like, you could reference one that I actually watch, and then it would be funny. Like, when and I, I reference the shows. I thought you are a bakala man. What are you doing eating sushi?
2: <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, I had never seen that before. <laughs> that is very good. <laughs> oh, that is tremendous. Well That's done. That's well done. Well done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to send that to my friends later. Oh, my oh, God.
2: Don't send it to your mother. All right. Uh, oh, no, my mother. All right. Um, I don't know where to go from there. I don't know where to go I from there. I wish the
0: Lord would take me now.
2: <laughs> okay which doesn't belong and why uh non-seinfelder sopranos edition let's begin let's begin before we do which doesn't belong and why a little mark andrews talking about the new look ravens offense under new coordinator todd Monken.
1: i think it's going to be a dangerous offense um, i've really loved what um you know coach munkins you know had to teach and the way he's teaching and his energy that he brings Um, Very enthusiastic, so um, I think the sky's the limit.
2: Okay, which doesn't belong and why? Todd Monken, the new Ravens offensive coordinator. Eric Biennemi, the new coordinator in D.C. Bill O'Brien, back in New England. And Nathaniel Hackett, high-profile flameout last year in Denver, now with the Jets. Which doesn't belong and why?
0: You know, I think it's Eric Biennemi because I think of those four guys, he's the only one who really is in trouble in that, well, I don't want to say trouble. It's just, he's the one that has the most unknown quarterback to work with, right? And I don't know if that means it's trouble because it's Sam Howell. Because if it goes well, that Eric Biennium is probably going to be, knock on wood, I guess, I don't know. Eric Biennium is going to be in the conversation to be a head coach somewhere, you would like to think, perhaps even with the organization that he's already at. You know, because Josh Harris is coming in as the new owner, you don't know what in the world is going to happen there. So yeah, I I think it would probably be Eric, the enemy that doesn't belong.
2: I'm going to say it's Todd Munkin just because I think he has got the biggest challenge of any of these guys to dramatically alter the Baltimore offense from run-based to apparently pass-based. Your quarterback's already saying he wants to throw for 6,000 yards for crying out loud. So yeah. you got a lot of work to do. you got a lot of work to do to reconfigure this offense. you to got, got a lot of people to buy in, and you've, you've, you've got to get the head coach to buy in. And, and, and let's face it, I mean, it's not like Todd Monken was on the short list of offensive geniuses that people were clamoring to get. He exiled or was exiled from Cleveland to where, Georgia, and was out of the NFL for a few years. So uh, this is not going to be easy for him. The, the expectations are going to be that that offense will be a lot better. It's just a lot of weight on him in 2023.
0: I mean, all he did was win a couple national championships and turn Stetson Bennett into a fourth-round pick. So, I mean, it's not like it was a slouch at Georgia with what he was doing there. And that whole 2019 thing with the Cleveland Browns was a total mess. So, I, I yeah, but I think it's also – it's never going to be really pass-based with the Ravens. I mean, Lamar Jackson can say, oh, 6,000 yards, whatever – But I think that it's still going to be the Baltimore offense that is based off of the run. You have to have a run-based offense when you have that quarterback and that kind of threat, you know, with his legs. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm saying that that is one of the things that makes Lamar Jackson elite. It also doesn't mean he can't throw the ball. Of course he can throw the ball. But I feel like it's got to be a better balance of run and pass and not necessarily pass-based versus run-based, if that makes sense.
2: So not six thousand passing yards for Lamar Jackson, even though that's what he said he would like to do. He said it. He said I it know, out loud. Six thousand yards. He was, 6, was at a press yards.
0: conference. He was at a press conference where he just signed his new deal. I mean, like uh, he you
2: did, know. he he didn't say he's in the best shape of his life, but he did say six thousand passing yards. All right, okay. Frank Reich, the new Panthers coach, recently addressing the extent to which he would like to turn Lavisca Chenault, Panthers receiver, into a Debo Samuel type. Have a listen.
0: Well, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, I think Laviska has been one of those guys out here that's looked good. Um, you know, we'll continue to investigate the different roles that he can play. Obviously, I, you know, I even if we had this grandiose plan, which maybe we do, you know, but I wouldn't, right, reveal that, you know, here or now, all the different ways you can use him. But, you know, you, you look at guys like Debo Samuel and stuff like that, and you say, well, can Laviska do some of that stuff? Of course he can. Um, so, you know, we'll experiment with some of that stuff. Um, You know, we'll experiment with some of that stuff and see what, you know, some of it will get incorporated and some of it won't.
2: You're really committed to supporting your sponsors when you've got the translucent backdrop on the practice field for the press conference. That's, that's something that's, that that is something. The floating bank of America logo along with the floating Panther logo. So which doesn't belong and why Debo Samuel, LaVisca Chenault or hadarius tony all receivers who get used in the running game
0: yeah debo samuel doesn't belong with those other two dudes because debo samuel has proven that he's way better than those other two dudes i mean why are we putting debo samuel in a conversation with those other two guys why is debo samuel coming out of your mouth frank wreck when you're talking about another player i mean this is one of the most effective offensive weapons in the entire national football league right And I'm sorry, but LaVishka Shadult and Kadarius Tony maybe they have some of that in them, but they don't have what Debo Samuel's got, at least not yet. So get get Debo Samuel out of that conversation and put him where he belongs.
2: You know, it's funny. As you say that, it reminds me of something from the very excellent Shaquille O'Neal series on HBO. I'm sorry, still have Peacock too, but I tripped over that recently. And there's a great line. When he faced Patrick Ewing for the first time, his dad told him, you show respect by showing none. So adding Debo Samuel with those two shows plenty of respect to Debo Samuel by showing none whatsoever because he is separate from those two. But I would say Chenault doesn't belong because at least we know Tony has absolute positive high-end ability. They're scratching the surface in Kansas City. They fully intend to deploy him as maybe their number one Tyree Hill replacement this year. Chenault's got a long way to go to be in that category approaching tony and then debo samuel above and beyond that all right one more micah parsons here he is on lining up everywhere for the cowboys in 2023
1: mike said the next step for you is opening up more opportunities for other people how do you think and go about that
0: you know uh just playing chess just being able to move around i think that's the special ability um that i have and why i want to like incorporate, you know, so we're doing a lot of special things. I don't want to give a lot away right now, but uh, it's going to be a really cool year. Y'all going, to, I'm probably going to play like eight positions this year. So don't even ask me anymore. You are have your eight positions. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Have, you, running
2: back, have you looked at goal line? I, th- I think I got a goal line package. Luke Gifford, Luke Gifford love. I think I got a goal line package. He really could play every position on defense except corner. Right. I mean, they could put him anywhere and he could probably he could probably do OK, not embarrass himself at corner if he had to. If you look at how he can move, we had the video recently of him and uh, I can't remember which receiver it was. And the, the, the deuce uh, deuce uh, the, the, the new running back they drafted, Vaughan. the little guy, uh, Deuce, deuce Vaughn. Deuce Deuce fine. So, I mean, Micah Parsons can move, and Micah Parsons can do it all. So, which doesn't belong and why? Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, Minka Fitzpatrick. They each have multiple All-Pro Seasons, but no Defensive Player of the Year awards yet.
0: Yeah, I, I, my first instinct is to say Minka Fitzpatrick because he's a defensive back, and that. but that's – I think that, like, kind of – it it doesn't say as much about what he means to that Pittsburgh Steelers defense, right? I mean, I guess it's kind of Miles Garrett because that's a team where you just don't know if they're going to contend or not, and, and they have now Jim Schwartz as their defensive coordinator. So that means Miles Garrett's going to be playing that wide nine technique, and I think that that probably will be good for him. He's already an elite defensive guy, but yeah, it's interesting because. I mean, the defense does revolve around Miles Garrett, but not necessarily in the same way that I think Pittsburgh's defense kind of revolves around TJ Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick. And then you have Dallas defense. That's got, um, that's got Micah Parsons like that. You know, does that make any sense?
2: Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, for me, it's simpler, even though it's not as glaring of a distinction as we had with Debo Samuel, LaVisca, Chenault and Kadarius Tony. I still think Micah Parsons is a step above the others. And, I know that's saying a lot, considering one of the others is Miles Garrett. But Parsons is just that guy that can do it all, that has been incredible, only two seasons in the league, unlimited potential, arguably yeah. could have been Defensive Player of the Year as a rookie. They just don't yeah. give that award to rookies. You get Defensive Rookie of the Year, someone else's Defensive Player of the Year. So yeah. the more creatively they use him, the more he can generate by way of highlights and sacks and just disruption and chaos and everyone constantly worried about where he is. He's, he's the one defensive player I wouldn't want to have to deal with in the NFL because you never know where Mm -hmm. he's going to come from and you never know where he's going to be and you never know what he's going to do. But it's usually going to be something that makes it harder for the offense to move the ball. All right, let's go ahead Mm -hmm. and take a break. C.J. Stroud already making a strong impression for the Houston Texans in OTA practices. We'll give you the latest on that when PFT Live continues right after this.
1: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal! It's unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, this summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Yeah, it's really exciting. Really all the all the rookies in general came in to like from the get-go, with a mindset of they were going to attack this thing, and they've all really came in and attacked it as as a group, which is probably one of the coolest things to see with CJ. Is it's not just him alone. He's been awesome. He's been putting the work in. They've all been coming in for some extra work. He wants to have command of what's going on, uh, as as anyone who's in that position should. His deliberateness and intent to try to get better, and like he's literally grabbing everybody cam the field. So he he's been very sort of intentful of like intentional of learning and just learning defense too. like, Hey, what'd you call there? What was that coverage or what'd you do here? So uh, I respect that from him.
2: Some praise for CJ Stroud, the second overall pick in the draft and the presumed week one starter of the Houston Texans. Before we go any farther, this is one of the functions of getting older as you are getting older. You realize how young younger people look. I would swear that Bobby Slowick is the kid who delivers my newspaper. I would oh, swear to it. If there was a lineup of who delivers your newspaper, it's him. He did it, officer. He threw my newspaper into the bush.
0: They still do that? You get somebody that'll come up that hill and throw your newspaper to you?
2: Yeah. It's in a car, and they just throw it at the door. <laughs> you know where you come up and turn around? Yeah. Yes. They, they drive up. Yeah. Oh,
0: there you go. It's okay, not like the nice.
2: old days when I would have had to take a bike up that hill. My Schwinn. Yeah. Ride it up that hill and Mm. throw it in that shrub. All right, so uh, this is best shape of your life season, and it's heap unnecessary and excessive praise on your rookie quarterback season. There's never been a doubt to me. I think Davis Mills is the only human on the planet that has any real hope that C.J. Stroud won't be the week one starter for the Texans. They're getting him ready, just like the Panthers are getting Bryce Young ready. I think the Texans are even doing – less to try to conceal it. Stroud is the guy for the Houston Texans. He'll be the guy week one. I'd be stunned if he isn't.
0: Oh, me too. And look, I mean, I, I think you'd be Case Keenum before it would be Davis Mills out there. I mean, at least that's what I would rather see if I'm D'Amico Ryans and I'm a veteran head coach. We already know what Davis Mills is slash is not capable of. We know what Case Keenum is too. And I think Case Keenum is probably a better placeholder if you need it for a C.J. Stroud than a Davis Mills would be. But I got to say, Mike, I mean, I don't know if this is like unnecessary stuff, especially when it comes to a C.J. Stroud, because of all the BS that was said about him in the pre-draft process, right? So it's not like, you know, it was just all praise all the time for CJ Stroud. There's some stuff that was said about him and I don't know if the Texans really need to need to combat that, but I like that they kind of are combating it, right? With the things that they're saying and just how prepared CJ Stroud has been, how curious he's been about the different defenses and the different coverages and trying to maximize everything he can from the offseason program. So, it's not a nothing burger to me that this is some of the stuff that's coming out of Houston because of all the stuff that was said about C.J. Stroud in the pre-draft process.
2: That's a fair point. That's a fair point. In my mind, I washed all that crap out after the draft because I took it for what it was, an effort to get the Texans to get a little wobbly and to not take him so he would start sliding and someone else could get him. That's what I believe all that talk was. It was about sparking a slide because there was someone that wanted C.J. Stroud, and they wanted to get the Texans not to take C.J. Stroud. And one of the knocks on Stroud was that he asks too many questions. Do you remember that one? He asks too many questions. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Don't you want natural curiosity? And I saw James Palmer of NFL Network post this quote from Matt Burke. We saw Burke in his beard earlier talking about how, as the defensive coordinator, used a coverage that Stroud was intrigued by. First thing he did when I was walking off the field was he grabbed me and he said, Coach Burke, he spent 10 minutes walking off the field asking me about the coverage and just sort of what he saw, what kind of, how he set it up, talking through that, his deliberateness, his intent to try to get better. He's literally grabbing everyone he can on the field. He's been very sort of intentional about learning. We heard that part of the clip but he's asking questions to the defensive coordinator about the coverages he's using. You want a guy who asks questions. You want a guy who has a thirst for knowledge about football, who wants to understand why you're doing what you're doing so he can get better. He's not doing it to be a pain in your ass or to right. be an infringement on your ability to run back to your office and put a you know a, a, a pinch of a skull in your cheek and spit into a cup for a half hour. He's trying to get better.
0: Yes, exactly. And if don't you want your franchise quarterback to do that? Right. You want your franchise quarterback to understand the whys of coverage because if he understands it from that defensive perspective, that can only help him from an offensive perspective. I mean, if you talk to, you know, offensive coaches, certain head coaches, and I've talked to Sean McVay about this because I covered him for years. He always talked Mm -hmm. about seeing the game from a 22 man perspective. Right. So I think when you can do that as a quarterback, it's only going to make you better. And those questions that you're asking of a defensive coordinator can only make you better, especially as a rookie quarterback who has not seen all the things that they're going to throw at you once you get to the NFL level.
2: Here's the real question, though, when talking to Sean McVay, how many oh times did he say your name in 30 seconds? What?
0: What? I knew I you know, as soon as you made that little face once I said Sean McVay, I knew you were gonna do something like this. Uh, it's just sorry, like Miles. I uh I, I just well, like Miles. it's like I pulled the string on your, you know, Miles on your back. There's I'm a sorry. snake in my boot. I don't I don't <laughs> I'm Say sorry. your name in thirty seconds.
2: Hey Miles, hey Miles, there's a snake, Miles. It's in my boot, Miles. Okay. I don't know what to do about it, Miles. All right, let's take a break. That's a good point to end this discussion. But, yeah, I think C.J. Stroud is going to start week one, and we're going to forget about all the crap pre-draft, and we'll find out what kind of a player he is, just like we do with every quarterback who enters the NFL. There's a ceiling out there somewhere between the Hall of Fame and what you did in college, and we'll find out where his ceiling is. We're going to have a draft on this Friday edition of PFT Live, focusing on the best Second banana wide receivers among the various NFL teams and there are a lot of great number twos out there. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Another year
1: on my belt. I see how the lead work even more. Um, I think preparation,
0: you know, um, seeing defense and knowing what defense is gonna do, um, how they plan on playing us, then adjusting the game. So um but I feel like it's a lot I can grow from
2: in my first two seasons. So still growing trying to stack days together. Jalen Waddle, he has put on some weight. He's looking a little bigger. He's the number two to Tyree Kill, and he's one of the best number twos in the NFL. That leads to today's draft. The best number two receivers in the NFL, and there are many of them. And we actually are so far ahead of time today that we can do a trivia question. There are people out there who loved the trivia question. We used to do it all the time to determine the first pick in the draft. And then all of a sudden we just stopped. Well, today we start again. Oh boy. The streak may not be longer than one, but Miles, get ready. <laughs> Ozzie Newsome is the Browns' all-time leading receiver with 7,980 yards. Who is the Browns' leading receiver in yardage this century?
0: I, I, so i i resisted the temptation to look at the answer because i actually looked at the rundown last night unlike you probably uh so i think it's so braylon let's just be clear edwards, you've had time
2: to think about or, it uh okay i have okay. yeah is braylon nice edwards try. or nice josh try. cribs mm, i think oh you're not which so who are you picking edwards or cribs
1: uh, Browns let's fan? go edwards based on what you said all night to think about it
2: yeah <laughs> I, I thought you were trying to sell me on the idea that you didn't look it up, or you didn't at least think no, about it. No, I didn't. It. You've had a chance I, no, I did to think, think about, about, it. about
0: it. I did think about it. I thought about it a lot.
2: It is Braylon Edwards. I went Edwards. to
0: bed thinking about it, it and I, I woke up thinking about it.
2: It is Braylon Edwards. The third overall pick in the 2005 draft. Is that what it was? 2005? Back when you were 14? Good Lord. Actually, you were 13 when the 2005 draft happened. Yes, Braylon yeah. Edwards. Uh, you are correct, Ooh. and you get the first pick.
0: All right, well, give me Jalen Waddell. He started off the segment with the sound, and I I love this guy, man. I I think he really is one of the really good young emerging wide receivers in this league. I mean, 75 catches for over 1,300 yards last year and eight touchdowns. I mean, it's funny, Mike, the difference in the offensive scheme from one year to the next. When you get Mike McDaniel, he leads the league at 18.1 yards per reception. That's huge and it almost doubled what his yards per reception was as a rookie. So I think the sky is the limit for him. Hopefully, Tua Bailoa can stay healthy. If not, Mike White's going to come in there and he might sling that pill around to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle too.
2: I'll go T. Higgins because I don't think T. Higgins is really a number two. I think he's just a co-number yep. one, although Jamar Chase is still better. Higgins is the kind of guy who could leave as the number two in Cincinnati, become the number one somewhere else, and get it done, unlike guys we've seen in the past, all the way back to Alvin Harper. When he left the Cowboys, he wasn't suited to be a number one. you got to have that ability to command double coverage. you got to be the guy. I think T. Higgins could go be the guy somewhere else. So he's my first pick, co-number one, not even a number two in Cincinnati.
0: I mean, I I think Jamar Chase is so talented – that you have to put him as a number one. But I, I think you're right that T. Higgins could go be a number one somewhere else. I mean, he was the number one for Cincinnati the year before Jamar Chase got there and Joe Burrow got hurt. Probably otherwise he, he would have had a thousand yards in that season. I and mean, he's had a thousand yards in the last couple of years. So he was on my list, too, as somebody who's one of the best um, number twos in the league. But you didn't take my second pick. That's Devontae Smith. Because that's another guy that would be a number one in a lot of places, but he's not just because A.J. Brown is there. And I think you look at what he did last year, even though he didn't quite catch that fourth down pass, you know, in the uh, NFC championship game, even though it actually counted. I mean, I, I think that this is a really special receiver and you see his ability time and time again, even though he's a slight guy, he's not afraid to. To do whatever he has to do to make catches, right? And he can make the contested plays. He can make the wide open plays, explosive plays. So I love what Devontae Smith does in that offense and his chemistry with Jalen Hurts is clearly off the charts.
2: Okay. I'm struggling with the next one just because I don't know who the number two receiver is in Dallas. Who is the Mm. number two receiver in Dallas? Is it CeeDee Lamb? Or is it Brandon Cooks? They traded for Cooks, who has his second contract. He's making considerably more. He got a sixteen million dollars signing bonus on the way through the door with the Cowboys. CD Lamb is still waiting for his second contract. Who's the number one? Who is the well, number one? What about one?
0: Michael Gallup? Whoever.
2: Well, well, right. But between, I think it's, it's either going to be Cooks I mean, or Lamb.
0: CeeDee's C- the, so C- the number one. I'll go. For, Cooks. the number one. I'll go. Take Brandon I'll Cooks, Cooks your then. Two.
2: Yeah. I'll go Cooks is the best number two because I mean he's just kind of overlooked and forgotten. The Cowboys added him to that mix, and uh, he still can run really fast and he still has an impact everywhere he's been, even on a bad team like the Texans. So I'll go Brandon Cooks. Even though he hasn't played for the Cowboys yet, I think it'll be a great compliment to Lamb.
0: That's kind of what left Brandon Cooks off my list is that he hasn't necessarily played for the Cowboys yet. So but, I mean, I, I I spend time around Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is a really good receiver. He understands route running well. He understands speed well. And kind of everywhere he's been, despite the fact that he's been in a bunch of places, he's made an impact. But I think that's kind of what makes him the number two, right? Because teams feel like they can move on from him and they'll still be okay. Whereas, you know, you're not really moving on from your number one all the time. And so Brandon Cooks is still that kind of good receiver. Um, I'm, I'm going to go to San Francisco for my next pick and it's Brandon Ayuk because everybody talks about Debo Samuel and we did earlier on in the show and you've also got Christian McCaffrey now there and, and you've got George Kittle but Brandon Ayuk is somebody who has made really really big really really tough catches for that team over the course of his career and he's just one of those dudes that I think maybe gets a little bit overlooked last year at 78 catches just over a thousand yards eight touchdowns and the way that San Francisco has constructed its roster with you know low QB cap hits, this is a guy that they can pay because he's in a contract year. I, I think that they are going to want to keep Brandon Ayuk around and see what he can do alongside this kind of core of offensive pieces that they've got. So that's one of those guys where I think you, know, you look at San Francisco and why they've been so successful over the last couple of years. He's definitely a big piece.
2: The Packers wanted Justin Jefferson in 2021. He was gone. They wanted IUK. They got leapfrogged by the 49ers, and that's when the Jordan Love plan went into action. How different the world would be if the Packers <laughs> would have gotten IUK or especially Jefferson right now. Okay. Uh, I feel bad about this one because this one should have been sooner, I think. Tyler Lockett of the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, I, and, again, it's another guy where you don't, you, I don't think of him as a number two. He doesn't really feel like a number two, mm-hmm. but with DK Metcalf there, getting getting close to market value, Tyler Lockett is number two, and mm-hmm. uh, he he, you know he's not a big guy, but he makes the the, the catches when they need to be made. He's the great complement to DK Metcalf, and now with Jackson Smith and Jigba there getting a lot of attention because he's the rookie and he was the first round pick, you know, it, it's going to be maybe easier for Tyler Lockett to kind of slip through the cracks and 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 get things done because maybe he gets even a little less attention as they try to figure out what the rookie is going to be able to do.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's four straight seasons of a thousand yards for Tyler Lockett. And yeah, DK Metcalf is the number one there, but Lockett has been so consistent. Over the last few years, I mean, I, I think about my time covering in the NFC West, and this guy's always making plays week after week after week. So, I mean, if you are that consistent, then yeah, you might have should have been a little bit higher on our list, but it's not like you know, we're talking about bad players when we've got all the rest of these guys. Um, let me go my uh, fourth pick here, Mike Williams of the Los Angeles Chargers. And it's another one where you're like, well, is he number two or is Keenan Allen number two? I I don't know. I mean, I I would say just because Keenan Allen has more years of experience in the league, that puts him at number one. And so to me, Mike Williams is the number two, and he's one of the better number twos in the league. The only problem is just staying healthy, right? And so my interest in the Chargers right now, especially with Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator – how is this three receiver really good receiver system with Allen, with Williams, with the rookie Quentin Johnston, how is that going to come to fruition? Because I mean, over the last few years, we've seen Keenan Allen miss time. We've seen Mike Williams miss time. I mean, they barely played at the same time last year at all. So you add a third guy into that mix and it should, and especially with the, the arm talent, like Justin Herbert, it should only take that offense to new heights, but, I think, like I said, Mike Williams still one of the really, really good number two guys in the league. He's just got to stay healthy.
2: I will uh, now pivot to the New York Jets, where another new receiver who has yet to play for the team, who signed a four-year, $44 million contract, but he's clearly not going to be number one. Garrett Wilson, the offensive rookie of the year in 2022, is the number one guy with the Jets. Alan Lazard. And, and I don't know who knows how the numbers are going to shake out there because Lazard's got the familiarity with Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. But even though even though Wilson's still working on rookie contract, he's got the hardware that makes him the guy. Lazard is the number two and Lazard is getting big money and Lazard is going to have a big impact this year in Aaron Rodgers first season with the Jets and Lazard's first season in New York.
0: Yeah, and it should be a big impact, especially because you have the familiarity with Nathaniel Hackett, right? So it's not like that guy is unaware of what Alan Lazard can do. And the quarterback, of course, with Aaron Rodgers, very aware of what Alan Lazard can do. You also add Randall Cobb into that mix. There's a good group of receivers there with the Jets that should have Aaron Rodgers in a position position to Excel. Uh, let's go with Chris Godwin for my next picture. There's another guy. That seems like he should be higher on the list. Maybe he had over a thousand yards last year coming off a serious knee injury. And he's just now saying that he's feeling like himself again, which is something that we hear a lot of guys talk about when they're coming off a major injury like that ACL Achilles, what have you. It takes more than a year to really start feeling like yourself, to start feeling like you have that kind of explosiveness once again. And I i mean, we said earlier in the show, I'm not really excited by a quarterback competition between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. But if you have receivers around you, like Mike Evans as your number one and Chris Godwin as your number two, I mean, there are certainly worse guys you could be throwing to. So at least there is that. You have decent weapons there for your Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
2: And the reason I didn't pick Godwin earlier is what you just said. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I don't know if they're going to have somebody who's going to make full use of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but based on contract, based on production, based on past performance, Godwin, a guy who needed to be on the list, and I'm glad you you picked him. All right, now, now, this is where there's there's a bunch of different ways I can go. And in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, is I assume Deontay Johnson's the number one because he's got the contract. George yeah. Pickens is the guy who's got the arrow pointing up. I don't know that he's number one yet. I'll go George Pickens, even though he thought he was snubbed By not being a pro bowler, he would probably view it as a snub to be regarded as not the number one receiver in Pittsburgh. He's got the talent to be and he may become it this year, but they paid Deontay Johnson like 18, 19 million a year. So he's the guy and Pickens is the number two and they could do a lot worse than George Pickens is number two.
0: They certainly could. You know, Mike, I don't think that we talk enough about how good those Pittsburgh skill position players are slash can be this year with Kenny Pickett going into his second year. Like I think the last show I did, we were talking about the Falcons and, you know, Oh man, the Falcons have this guy. They have this guy. They've got the guy that guy like the, the Steelers have Deontay Johnson. They have George Pickens. They have Najee Harris. They got Pat Fryer. That's a really good quad of skill position players. For Kenny Pickett, who is an ascending player going into his second year in that same scheme in the offense. And I know that there are a lot of people, especially in Pittsburgh, those Yenzers don't necessarily like the scheme that they've got they're their offensive coordinator. But I think having that continuity and all of those really talented guys is something that's really good for Kenny Pickett. And so Deontay Johnson can be number one. George Pickens can be number two, what have you. But they've got a lot of guys, I think, that can make that thing successful.
2: And they've added two new starting offensive linemen. I saw over the weekend mm-hmm. they have 18 of 22 starters back from last year, but a couple of the starters are going to lose their jobs, left tackle and left guard, because Isaac Simualu is there from Philadelphia to play guard, and Broderick Jones, the first-round pick from Georgia at tackle. So that offense may be even better, should be even better this year as Pickett goes into year two. I had a couple others that didn't make the list. I mean, Zay Flowers in Baltimore, first-round pick. We don't know what he's going to be, but he steps right in as the guy across from OBJ. I mean, maybe yeah. Rashad Bateman, but I th- you, you make that investment in Zay Flowers, he's your number 2 guy. And also, Calvin Ridley with Christian Kirk in Jacksonville. Nice. He hasn't played, yeah. but there's just kind of this quiet, you know, we know what he did when he played in Atlanta. He's had the gambling suspension. That could be a huge difference maker for the Jaguars who finished strong and should be in the conversation for real contenders in the AFC.
0: You know, it's funny. I don't know that it's all that quiet. They, they, The reporters out of Jacksonville have been really saying how good Calvin Ridley's looked in these first few OTAs that have been open uh, to the media. So, that's not necessarily something that's not off my radar, you know, but I, I actually would take two other guys um, that one of them who is also in Jacksonville, Zay Jones did a really nice job as a number two option um, last year for Trevor Lawrence. So he's somebody that it's like, man, you don't necessarily think of him that way. And obviously they do have Calvin Ridley now to kind of be their number two, but he's on my radar and Tyler Boyd, even though he's kind of like the number three in Cincinnati, That receiving core is so good that Tyler Boyd is not necessarily somebody that couldn't be a number one for somebody else, right? He's been there the longest of that trio uh, between Boyd and T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, but he's arguably at least a number two for somebody else because he's pushed down by Jamar Chase being the number one guy and then T. Higgins being the number two guy. But Tyler Boyd is as good as any number two I think we've mentioned.
2: Yeah, between Higgins and Boyd, one of them will not be there next year. Boyd's yeah. in the last year of a contract that pays between 8 and $9 million. He likely is the one to leave unless they can't work out a deal with Higgins. Then you just re-sign Boyd and you keep him around as the number two to Jamar Chase. Let's take a break. When we return with the new kickoff rule, the key words are unintended consequences. And there's a big one that Pete Carroll talked about yesterday that we'll break down when PFT Live continues right after this.
1: Coach Harbaugh is pretty involved in that. Coach Reed, if they, they voiced some comments on it, i probably agree with things they said. One phrase that I keep hearing as a tribute to you is you uh, keep the, the foot football. i worried about where the league is heading. I can't head remember saying that. No. Sorry. No. Alright. I don't even know what that means, but whatever.
2: Well, if you regularly watch the show, you got to see that two days in a row. Bill Belichick, always entertaining, not always very chatty. Unless you ask him some obscure question about football history, then he'll talk for 30 minutes unimpeded. So, Pete Carroll yesterday, and we have the post at PFT, where he talks about the new kickoff rule that allows for a fair catch that would put the ball at the 25. Inside the area between the goal line and the 25, you take a fair catch, you get first and 10 at the 25. The goal by the league recognizing how dangerous the kickoff is, let's just come up with another half measure, as you said during one of the breaks, to reduce the total number of kick returns. We know it's a dangerous play. Let's just do it less often. That's their solution. But we see unintended consequences. When they moved the touchback from the 20 to the 25, teams started kicking the ball short of the goal line, which has led to this problem. Too many returns because the ball's being deliberately kicked short of the goal line, so now fair catch You get the ball at the 25. So special teams coordinators who hate the rule, hate this rule, fought against it, and believe they were ignored. I think the solution is going to be, and Pete Carroll alluded to this yesterday, I've heard about it from others in the league, more mortar kicks, squib kicks, miles. There's going to be more returns, I think, because these coaches want to send a message to the league. You're not going to take this play out of the game. We're not going to go quietly, and you're going to try to make fewer kick returns, we're going to have more of them because we're going to start kicking the ball all over the place and no one's going to call for a fair catch.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you squib it, that really is what's going to happen. And I don't think it's they believe that they were ignored, Mike. They were ignored, right? I mean, you've written about it, how they they were strong-armed, these owners – into, you know, going from a vote that would have been rejected into a vote that put this measure into place. So, look, I think that this is something where we're going to see special teams, uh, coaches say, well, if you want to give us a half measure, we're going to combat that in a way that at least keeps this play in the game. They want to take kickoffs out of the game, then they should just take kickoffs out of the game, I think. You can't, no more half measures, as Mike once beautifully said on Breaking Bad.
2: Rich McKay said last week that they want to find a solution that allows the kick return to be a full part of the game. The problem is, and the league's position on the efforts of the special teams coordinators to come up with ideas, they haven't put forward an acceptable alternative. I don't know that there is one. At some point, that's what the NFL has to say maybe there isn't one unless they want to use the xfl which kind of looks like electric football before you click the button because they're all standing there in position and they're they're Mm. in different spots i don't know what you do but they're gonna have to do something revolutionary to save this play and right now it's in the balance well maybe
0: they should have just made it a fair catch you get it at the 20 and that's where they should put the touchback. that's at least what i would have done
2: It's something that's going to add intrigue to the coming season. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for some of your time. We'll see you on Monday.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well.